continues to equip all of us, I don't say you, us, uh, to be godly parents and to rear our children towards uh, biblical manhood and womanhood and uh, to take the gospel to the next generation. So I um, wanted to uh, just give you, pass on a few bits of information before Bill, he's going to introduce our, our guest speaker tonight. One is outside, many of you have already seen outside, there's the resource table. Uh, actually, there's three tables, I think, but there's, there's resources, everything that you've been referred to in the Rite of Passage book, you can find there on the resource table. Some of those are marked with a little uh, post-it that says Todd's book or Todd's copy or Scott's or whatever. Uh, we did that because last time you guys had sticky fingers and you took some of our books. And so, um, so we marked them this time because all the highlighting, you thought they came with those. Um, but uh, so if it, if it says Todd's copy or something on there and that's the only one, then just write on the, uh, the sign-up sheet. And we'll order that for you and have it in this week. If it doesn't have any kind of marking on it, then that's for sale tonight. And the price should be on the back, bottom right corner. Uh, if there's not, just see one of the staff and we'll, we'll figure out what it's supposed to be. Um, the, uh, I forgot to bring the Rites of Passage book up here. But the small Rites of Passage book, if you're new or you didn't get one last time, every family in the church should get one copy of those. So if your family does not have a copy of those, then make sure you grab one tonight. There is two stacks of those at the um, end of the first resource table. So just grab one of those and breakout leaders. If you want to take one of those with you, then uh, feel free to do that. Um, the breakout sessions. I didn't bring that sheet up either. Um, let's see if we can do this off of memory. You guys can help me out. Thanks, George. I can't read it quite that far away. But uh, <laughs> after a week in Peru, George thinks I have incredible vision. Uh, so, uh, oh. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. All right. Uh, so everyone, if you did not get one of these sheets, then um, where, where did JC go? Uh, JC, all right. If you didn't get one of these sheets, we have some extras, but this is going to give you a, a rundown of all the breakout seminars. Um, there's one change that you'll want to note. Bill's uh, on parenting through the teen years is no longer in the fellowship hall. It's in Mike West's Sunday school class at the, on this left hallway in the back. It's room 202. So if you're going to be going to that, then please take note of that. The, uh, the breakouts are intended, it should have everyone in here covered. Uh, Dr. Stinson's breakout, anyone can come to. Uh, probably want to be parents. If you do not have a child in the home, then I would recommend that you go to Ricky's on prayer mentoring. Now, that's for those if you are currently a prayer mentor but, or if you're just thinking about it or would just like to know how to pray for our children and youth in general, you can go to that. Um, Otherwise, you can see the ones kind of where they're, they're hitting and look at the one that would, that would best meet your needs of where you are in parenting and, uh, and go to that appropriate breakout session. All right, with that said, uh, I'll turn it over to Bill. You know, it's always a joy to, to have this. This is our third family, Grace Family Summit. Our second one since being in the building, in the new building, I think we did the first one the second week we were here, so we were really learning how to use the facilities at that point. But uh, we've been blessed by God to be able to have some really uh, good leaders to come and share with us during that time, and this year is no different. Uh, Dr. Randy Stinson is the dean of the School of Ministry at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, Randy, I've been friends for goodness, 15, 16 years, I guess. I was, I was trying to think back when we did meet, but it may have even been closer to 20 years ago, but he was the director of the uh, 
International Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, and uh, we met through that, and he, had, he asked me to serve on the Board of Reference, which I'm still on, which I still don't know what that means, but I'm on the Board of Reference, uh, at least I'm listed there, uh, with that council and have a great appreciation for the work they've done over the years and the way they've impacted an understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood. And so uh, then he is, as I say, has become dean of the, the School of Ministry uh, there at Southern and uh, is doing a phenomenal job. And we'll continue, Lord willing, to do a phenomenal job in years to come as that school is going through transitions. Uh, just, just two years ago, three years ago, he not only became dean of a school of uh, ministry, but we folded in the church music school. And now he is the dean of musicians. And he's going to sing a solo for us tonight just to show us how great he is uh, in the musical area. Not going to do that, but... Uh, but he's a man of, of many gifts and many talents, and he's a dear friend, and I'm thrilled that he's here to share with us tonight. I think uh, my question was, is why would I go to my seminar when you can hear me at any, on any Sunday when you've got Randy's seminar to it? I'm not dissing my seminar. I'm inviting you. You're welcome to come. But I hope that many in our church will take opportunity of hearing someone of Randy's caliber, expertise, and godliness to come and, and share with us. So after I pray, Randy, welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Glad you're here and uh, glad you can be a part of this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, this evening that we can gather in this place to, uh, to just think about what it means to be a family. Uh, not, not primarily a nuclear family, Lord, but a church family. What it means to be more than just a consumer place, uh, but a, a family place, a covenant family. Uh, centered around you and our call to be a part of your family. Father, I thank you for each person that's here. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will teach us and instruct us and help us to grow in understanding of who you are. Father, I, I pray for this night. I pray for Randy and for the other leaders in each of the breakout groups. And pray, Father, that you will uh, use each group to glorify you and to strengthen uh, our church family as well as the families that make it up. And Lord, I pray for Randy as he uh, is gracious to be here with us tonight and then just later this week we'll leave for the Ukraine and then for the, for the Far East. I pray, Lord, that you will minister to him as he, uh, as he plans to go and, and teach and minister there in, in many different environments. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Got it? All right. Well, it's an honor to be here, and Bill's correct. We've been friends for a long time. And uh, Bill, what it means to be a Board of Reference member with the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is you're supposed to be given a lot of money. So I'll, uh, I'll get your checking account number before I leave, and we'll do some direct drafts, <clears throat> make up for lost time. I, uh, <clears throat> I bring greetings from my church in Louisville, Highview Baptist Church, where my wife and I and my children our members there, I, uh, my wife and I, Dana, have been married uh, almost 22 years, and uh, we have seven children. We have twin 16-year-olds, Gunner and Georgia. They just got their driver's license or their learner's permit, and so I um, am praying a lot more for myself, not for them, because I'm in the passenger seat now and yelling to stop sooner and push the, pushing the brake and all sorts of things. I have a 14-year-old son named Fisher. 
have a 13-year-old daughter named Eden, an 11-year-old daughter named Peyton, a 7-year-old son named Spencer, and a 7-year-old daughter named Willa. Uh, Eden and Peyton are from Taiwan, uh, Willa is from China, and Spencer is from the Washington, D.C. area. So uh, on any given morning, our home and breakfast table is a chance for an international incident to occur. In November of 2004, we got on an airplane to Taipei, Taiwan to pick up uh, Eden and Peyton. They were five and a half and three and a half at the time. And we got there on a Sunday, met the girls on a Monday, spent the day with them, went to bed on Monday night. And about 11 o'clock on Monday night, I started feeling myself being shaken out of bed. Dana was in the bed with the two girls. I was on a cot. We were in a very small hotel room on the 15th floor, which will become important in just a minute, and being shaken out of bed, and I woke up and thought it might be my wife telling me to quit snoring, and what I realized was not only was my bed shaking, but the entire building was was shaking and swaying back and forth. Now, at the time, my wife and I had been in a flood, a hurricane, a tornado, and that night we were in an earthquake, and the building swaying back and forth, it's shaking and My wife woke up and she said, Randy, what is it? I said, it's an earthquake. She said, how do you know? I'm like, what, are we going to get in an argument about this? We're we're both about to die and meet Jesus. And our last words are, how do you know? You know, in an argument over how we're dying. I mean, that really, that's not how I plan to go out. So the earthquake stopped after about 30 seconds. It seemed like forever in the I called the hotel operator who was conveniently located on the first floor and I said, is everything okay? And he spoke some broken English. He said, everything fine. I said, was that an earthquake? He said, yes. I said, was it big or small? He said, it seemed quite big. (laughs) And it was about a 5.7 on the Richter scale. And the craziest thing was not the earthquake itself. It was How the people in downtown Taipei responded, we had to stay there a few more days, how they responded to the aftershocks, the after tremors that occur after a major earthquake. And I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida, so I know a hurricane. A hurricane, you can see it coming, you can board up your windows, you can pack up your car, you can get out of town and go to relatives. I mean, you've got time to work with. You just don't see an earthquake coming, and you don't see the tremors happening, and you can't see that coming. But we would be walking around on downtown downtown Taipei and the ground would shake and I thought you're supposed to stop stand still when the ground is shaking but that's not what they do you know what they do they just keep walking around because they're used to it now honestly I don't think you're supposed to be getting used to the ground shaking beneath you that is supposed to be a bone jarring moment the ground is shaking beneath you but apparently You can become accustomed to something as bone-jarring as the ground shaking beneath you. And that's why it's important to get away on a night like tonight and just reevaluate and ask ourselves some questions about how we're doing in some areas. In this case, it's biblical manhood and womanhood. And ask the question, are we, because of the culture we live in and just the cultural air that we breathe, are we maybe getting used to things that we shouldn't get used to? Are we just kind of taking things for granted and breathing the cultural air that we're breathing and getting used to a more cultural way of living as opposed to a biblical way of living in terms of this issue of manhood 
and womanhood. Now, my job tonight in this particular session is kind of throw out a vision for, for manhood and womanhood. In my breakout session, I'm going to talk to parents about how they might help create some moments to cultivate it in their homes. But a vision for something like this always has to come right out of the Bible. If we're going to talk about manhood and womanhood, the Bible talks a lot about manhood and womanhood. In fact, it talks a lot about it in the book of Genesis. So you go to the book of Genesis 1 and 2, or chapters 1 and 2, and you see God creating man and God creating woman and God creating this family and then they have children and it's all right there. I mean, the first thing that we have to point to in Genesis is Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the first thing that we acknowledge when we're talking about the creation of man and woman and biblical manhood and womanhood is the full equality between men and women. They are equal before God. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. The Bible is clear here in Genesis 126 and 127. There's full equality. And yet, You read on in Genesis 2, and you're going to see some serious distinctions between men and women. So how are we going to get a vision for this? Well, let's look at Genesis 2 to see what kinds of roles and responsibilities that God has given Adam and Eve and how we understand, how we see it. First thing we see is that Adam is created first. The Bible says in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. So God created Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed life into, his, life into his nostrils, and then puts him in the garden to work it and to keep it. God creates Adam first. There's an order here. Secondly, the Bible says that God realizes in verse 18, he says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So here we have Adam, he's already created. We know ahead of time in chapter 1 that Adam and Eve were created equal. And so now God says, I'm going to make a helper. Now, not just any old helper. Uh, The word helper in Hebrew is the word ezer. This phrase is ezer konegdo, which means a helper perfectly suited for him. A helper ideally suited to come alongside Adam and help him do what? What is she supposed to help him do? Get his chips? Find the remote control? No, what she is supposed to do is come alongside him and help him exercise dominion and subdue the earth. Adam and Eve in chapter 1 are both given the command to exercise dominion and subdue the earth, to become together, to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with what? Just a bunch of kids? No, with worshipers of God. So this is why you have the Tower of Babel, everybody huddled around together, and God said, I want you to fill the earth. Fill the earth with worshipers of me. And so he confounds their language and they have to disperse all over the world. I'll make a helper fit for him. Ideally suited for him. Someone to come alongside him, to compliment him. Not compliment him by saying nice things, but compliment him to correspond to him. She's going to be bringing things to the table. He's going to bring things to the table. And they're going to complement one another. They're going to correspond to one another. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally and with gifts and skills and roles that are going to complement one another to exercise dominion 
and subdue the earth. He's going to lead in that task. She's going to come alongside him. God does something interesting here. He, he, <clears throat> he gets Adam to name all the animals before he's brought Eve. And what happens here is Adam is going to notice that there are a couple of things wrong here. He's going to name all the animals. As the animals are coming by, he's probably noticing two things. One is there's nothing like, there's no other creature like him. There's no one that corresponds to him, nothing that looks like him. They're all different, not the same essence, not of the same substance. And then the second thing they notice is, is that presumably because the animals have been told to be fruitful and multiply, that they're going to be coming along in at least twos, male, female, male, female, male, female. And there's no female corresponding to Adam. He knows there's nobody corresponding to him. So God puts him in deep sleep after that, after he realizes it and what happens. The Bible says that God takes the woman and he puts her right in front of him. Here she is. Now, Adam, his first thought is very important. I mean, you can imagine, whatever, whatever you men thought, first time you saw your wife, your, your, your first time you ever met her, she wasn't your wife, I'm sure, before you met her, but the uh, first time you saw her, I mean, your first thought's important, right? I mean, this is important. Adam sees Eve for the first time, and the first thing he notices, she's just like me. The first thing that comes to his mind is equality. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's just like me, just like me. And then he does something interesting. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She, he names her. Naming is a very serious act of authority. Presumably, you did not give yourself your own name. Somebody gave you your name. Somebody gave me my name. My wife has an interesting story. Her name is Dana, but it's spelled D-A-N-N-A. And her parents, when they, she was born, named her Dana. And they spelled it D-A-N-N-A, and they called her Dana. But other people would not call her Dana. They kept calling her Dana. And so her parents gave up, kept the same spelling, just started calling her Dana. Now, that means, think about this, my parents named their daughter, and then other people around them said, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we're going to call her what we want to call her. So my wife was named by friends of the family, if you will, but most people get named by their parents. We have four children who are adopted. Three of them, we changed their names. Willa, when we adopted her, her name was Eden. But we already had a daughter named Eden. And I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life telling people why we had two daughters named Eden. So we named her Willa. And it took a couple of weeks. We would say, your name is Willa. She was two and a half. And she would say, no, my name's Eden. No. Your name's Willa. I'm Eden. And two weeks in, we're having the same old argument. My wife's holding, holding her, and my wife said, your name's Willa. She said, no, I'm Eden. My wife said, your name is Willa. And Willa said, okay. And that's the last we've heard of it. She's, <laughs> she's seven and a half now. That's five years later. She just, I asked her the other day, I said, Willa, have you ever had another name besides Willa? She said, oh, Daddy, you're being silly. You're just being silly. I mean, she didn't even remember it's an act of authority in the Bible and today. And so you see Adam exercising authority. And then the Bible says something interesting. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, why is that in there? Something great just to read at weddings? Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father? No. 
I think what's being established here is this new pattern. I think what God's saying here is this. Hey, here's how I made the first guy. I took some dust, breathed life into him. That's how I made him. Put him to sleep. Took part of his side, made her. That's how I created the first family. That's a one and done deal. Not going to do it that way anymore. From now on, here's how a family is going to be established. A man is going to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two are going to become one flesh. There's an order to it. How is a new family created? Man, what God is establishing here is a pattern. The man is going to, is going to strike out and take the ambition and, and have the ambition to go pursue a wife. He's going to go look for her. He's going to try to find her. He's going, to, he's going to take the initiative because he's taking the initiative because eventually he's going to have to lead it. If he doesn't have the gumption or the initiative to, to, to seek her out, he's not going to have the gumption or initiative to lead this thing. So it doesn't mean that she doesn't have to leave her mother and father because that means that they would be required to live with her parents and he's living with his in-laws. That can't be right. So he strikes out. He takes the initiative. I tell, I tell families all the time, if my boys are attracted to your daughters, and that's all, everything else being equal and it's good and right, but they don't have enough gumption to initiate, tell your daughters to run. Tell them to run. <clears throat> that's why my daughters aren't going to call boys and initiate that, not because I'm just a traditionalist. It's because I really think that God has set up a pattern. I want to see that boy pursue her. I want her having to pursue him. I want him to jump over a little hurdle to get to her, right? I want to see him. I want him knocking on my door with a little sweat on his upper lip, a little sweat over his eyebrow. Nothing crazy. I'm not going to be cleaning my gun when he shows up. But I, I do want, I want, him to, I want him to show some initiative because that's the pattern. He's supposed to reach out. He's supposed to lead out. So that's how you start to put together a vision for biblical manhood and womanhood. There are certain things that we're going to be called upon to do simply because we are men. There are certain things we're going to be called upon to do simply because we are women. I'm not one, but you know. <clears throat> Somebody's going to have to edit that out or I'm in big trouble. <clears throat> Even as the fall begins to unfold, think about this. Satan comes to Eve. <clears throat> Satan comes to Eve and tempts Eve. And I think Satan does that because Satan does not play by the rules. He's a liar. He's an usurper of authority. He's deceptive. And I think Satan goes to Eve because he's undermining the authority and protective structure that God's put into place. He's intentionally going in the back door. He's intentionally trying to undermine what God's got going on. He does it all the time in my home and your home. <clears throat> He'll go after your children. <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> one time my son Gunner and I were on the way home from football practice, nine years old. And we're in the car and he said, Dad, have you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? I said, yes, son, I have. He said, was it any good? I said, son, that is probably the dumbest movie ever made by human hands. I want all my brain cells back from when I watched it. Now, his next question was a problem for me. Because up until that point, the, the great thing about raising a nine-year-old boy for a dad is that nine-year-old boys really do believe that their dads are the bravest, strongest, greatest, 
man in the world ever in the history of all mankind. They think they can jump higher, fight better. I mean, my dad can beat up your dad was invented by a nine-year-old boy. That, that's just what, they just really believe it. It's, it's awesome. It is a total ego trip for a dad. It only lasts for about a year, but it's just a total ego trip. And I can remember Gunner, we'd be sitting in a living room and he'd, we'd be watching baseball and somebody hit a home run and he'd say, dad, you could do that, right? Say, oh yes, son, I could do that. It only lasts a year. I just go with it, right? So <laughs> yes, son. Now it doesn't explain why I'm sitting here in the living room watching that guy do it, but oh yeah, I could hit the ball 580 feet. Yeah. Watching the world's strongest man contest. Dad, you could do that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could uh, strap a refrigerator to my back and do jumping jacks if I wanted to. But it would emasculate all the other men in the neighborhood and ruin my testimony. It's a gospel issue for me. I just, I would do it, but it's the gospel's at stake, so. So that's what bothered me about his first question. I said, son, it was the dumbest movie ever. And he said, Dad, when can I watch it? I said, Gunner, let me ask you a question. I said, are there times when you think that there are good things out there for you? Things that I know are good and right and fun and awesome that you would really enjoy. Do you think that I know about things like that out there, but I'm just on purpose not letting you do them? I'm withholding them from you? He said, yes, sir. Now, do you see that? See, at the time, he's my oldest, nine years old. I was just waiting for the teenage years and all the battles and all the undermining and everything else. Do you see see what Satan's doing even in the nine-year-old boy? He's saying, you know, that smartest, bravest, greatest guy in the world sitting right next to you? He doesn't really want good stuff for you. He doesn't really want good things for you. Do you see what what a liar he is? How deceptive he is? How much he hates you? How much he hates me? How much he hates my son, and he doesn't want my son to think good thoughts about me. So he goes in the back door. He doesn't knock on the front door and say, hey, Randy, here's a deal. You're the head of the home. I want you to be ready. I want you to be praying and make sure you spend a lot of extra time with your family because I'm getting ready to tempt your son in a way you haven't even imagined. It's not girls and all sorts of things. I'm going to go after him when he's nine so that when I, by the time he gets to be a teenager, he's going to believe you don't even care. I'm going to make him believe you know good things and have good things, and he, you don't want him to have those things. So by the time I, we get to the teenage years, it is all over. So he'll go. He doesn't have to go by the rules. And I believe here he tempts Eve, trying to undermine the authority and protective structure that God's put into place. And why do I believe that? Because... Who does God come looking for after they both take of the fruit, they both have sinned? The Bible says, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Not because everybody's not going to get their punishment in this, but because he's holding Adam responsible for the overall direction of this home. There's an added responsibility. And that doesn't mean Eve isn't going to get punished, but everybody gets punished. But he comes to Adam. Why? Because he's given Adam this overarching responsibility. It's the same thing that happens when we leave all of our kids home at at once. Now, we're at the happy place where we can pick up and go wherever we want to. We've got enough older kids in the house. Now, 
for those of you that have little kids, do not wish your life away, but oh my word, it is awesome, all right? I can just go anytime I want to. The older kids watch the younger kids. But when I leave, Gunner's in charge. Gunner's the oldest by eight minutes, but he's the oldest. Gunner's in charge. <clears throat> and when I come back, and if something's happened, or, or should I say when something, I mean, not if, <laughs> just something happens when we're gone every time. And it's usually between Willa and Spencer, the two seven-year-olds. Even if it's between those two, I still say to Gunner, Gunner, what happened? Tell me what went on while we were gone. Not because Willa and Spencer aren't going to get in trouble over this little thing, but Gunner's got this little added amount of responsibility that he's carrying on this thing. I need to know from him what happened. And that's exactly what is going on here. <clears throat> and so in order to have a vision for biblical manhood and womanhood, even as a church, you've got to say, what are, what are we asking our men to do? Men are supposed to lead, they're supposed to provide, they're supposed to protect in a way that's different from women. And most of you instinctively know this. Why? Because this is not some invented sociological construct that we came up with in, in the United States or anywhere else. I've spent a lot of time and will continue to spend a lot of time traveling in all sorts of places around the world teaching on marriage and family. Marriage and family. It's universal. I mean, there, there aren't too many universals. Marriage and family is universal everywhere you go. I was in Douala, Cameroon in Africa for eight days in March. You know what questions they're asking? Marriage, children. What do I do when my kids do this? What should I do when my kids do that? It's amazing. All over the world. Same questions. It's universal. Here we are tonight. We've got to ask ourselves, don't we instinctively know this? Not because it's some sociological construct, but because it's the way God wired it up to be. It's the way God designed it to be. Men have a leadership element of responsibility, of protection. And we know this intuitively. In right after the 9-11 attacks, I had to travel <clears throat> years ago. And most of us, it was only just a couple of months after the attacks, and so we were all pretty sure we had not solved all of our security problems. <clears throat> and so what we did, I got off this plane, landed in Atlanta, and as soon as I got out of the, out of the plane, Delta agents were screaming, get out of the building, get out of the building, the sirens were going off, and there were 9,000 people in the airport at the time, which is a really no, low number for the Atlanta airport, but they scattering everywhere and you had to go underground the trams had shut off and everybody's screaming it's crazy it was crazy it was like on television a mass panic grown men are crying kids are crying women are crying and I see over in the corner an elderly woman who's obviously not sure what to do and I walked over to her and I and I came up beside her and I said ma'am I'm scared will you hold me I didn't say that Y'all know I didn't have, y'all know I didn't do that. See, that's why it's dead silence in here. Dead silence, because you're thinking, please, I hope that guy better be kidding, or we're, I'm not staying for another word, right? Because you know, at the time, I'm 32 years old. And you know, in your own heart, that in a crisis, it is just dead wrong for a 30-something-year-old young man to go to an elderly woman and say, I'm scared, will you hold me? You know that's wrong. Because in your own heart, 
The way God wired you and created you, you know, ladies, you know, you were thinking to me, you were thinking, what a wimp that guy was. Even the ladies in here were repulsed by this. Because we know. Because it's how God created us. That in a crisis, you don't, a man doesn't do that to a woman. It's, it's women and children first. The guys go down while the women and children go free. <clears throat> it's not just because we watched the movie Titanic. It's because that's how God wired it. <clears throat> so you've got to decide. Are we going to, the, the vision part of this is what are our kids going to have to grow up and do based on the, whether they're a man or a woman? I don't mean their vocation. I mean their broad responsibilities. What is the Bible laid out for them? Aren't there going to be things that we tell our daughters that we wouldn't tell our sons or tell our sons that we wouldn't tell our daughters or at least wouldn't say it in the same way because we already know the trajectory is going to be different. Our sons are not going to be moms. Our daughters are not going to be dads. And we don't need to get into a debate tonight on, well, what, well can somebody be a doctor? Can somebody? That's, let's don't talk about vocation. Let's just talk about broad life responsibilities that God has, has given us based on our manhood and womanhood. Just the broad responsibilities. And yes, God has made women with a, a unique ability to nurture. In fact, just the way he's made their bodies in terms of child rearing. There's something going on there that is not going on with a man, and it's, and it's inherent in who they are. Yes, the home is a primary domain. It doesn't mean she can't do anything outside the home. But in Titus 2, the home is a primary domain, and there, there's something that's going to take place there that's unique to her. And so we need to help train. The, the whole church should have a vision for this. <clears throat> The whole church can loop in on this. Older men helping the younger men, older women helping the younger women, all the way down to the children. Modeling these things. The process of a young man becoming a man, or of a boy becoming a man and a young and a girl becoming a woman is complicated. It's complicated. And it takes a church doesn't take a village it takes a church church with a common vision that's why you're all here in all ages right in this room some of you are going to get more specific instruction in the next session but we're all here in the same room because it's important for an older man to have a right vision about manhood so he can help younger men who might not have had a dad in the home <clears throat> i'm in the southern baptist theological seminary one of the finest places on the whole earth. And we have some of the finest men and women in the whole earth there to train for gospel ministry. And they've gotten there through different pathways. They've already had to swim upstream. They, they show up with blood on their uniform because it's not popular to go into ministry these days. Even if, back in the 40s and 30s, even families that weren't Christian, they were, they were still supportive of their kids going into ministry because they knew they were going to help people and that was still kind of a good thing. Today, they're wasting their life according to their families. You should be a doctor. You should be a lawyer. You can make more money doing this, more money doing that. 
parents telling their daughters, he's just going to be a pastor. That's all he's going to do with his life. What a waste. And a lot of these young men show up and it's just not like it used to be. We are living in what is sociologically called a fatherless culture. It's just the facts. Never before in this country, in this, in this culture, have we ever had the number of fatherless homes that we have right now. And not only are dads out of the home, there are a lot of dads that are in the home but are not paying attention. They're just distant. So they're there, they're bringing home a paycheck, but the rest of it, they're just not involved. And so that is contributing to what is called this fatherless culture. And that's not determinative. That doesn't mean your life is going to be ruined or everything's going to go down the drain. But it is a challenge. You've got to admit, we all have to admit, this is a challenge. <coughs> and this is where the church comes in. This is where the church comes in. Young men come to me all the time. And they don't have what I would call a bank of instincts. Like some of you men. I, I know how to do things. I know how to change the oil in my car. And if you ask me, how do you know how to change the oil in your car? Um, part of me would say... I don't know. I mean, I do know that at some point, I'm, my dad showed me how to do it. I just don't remember that day. But I just know how to do it. I don't remember. I didn't go to oil changing school. At some point, I just picked it up. My daughter's the same way. <clears throat> and young women are the same way. We need to be very intentional about this. Because we have a lot of young women growing up in situations where their moms haven't been able to give the attention. We have a an enormous number of single mom homes. And these moms have to do things that their predecessors did not have to do. And it's just, it's just frankly impossible for them to be able to spend the time with their daughters that generations were able to do before because they're single moms. So they can't do it. And this isn't about whose fault is that and all that. This is just about the facts. My daughter, my wife was out of town couple of months ago, and I wanted to make a meatloaf, one of my favorite things. You've got to have breadcrumbs to make a meatloaf. And I didn't, we didn't have any, and so my daughter said, I'll make some. I said, you can make breadcrumbs? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know somebody makes them because you buy them in the store, but you can make them? Yeah. She got out a food processor, put a bunch of bread in there, turned it on, and made breadcrumbs. That was amazing to me. I said, when did you learn how to do that? You know what she said? I don't know. I don't know. Now, she's 16 years old. She just, she knows. I mean, I know she, I mean, she, what she's saying is, I don't remember going to breadcrumb making school. I'm pretty sure mom told me how to do this, but I don't remember it. There are all sorts of things that you and I just absorb from those around us, and especially in terms of growing up, absorbing things from our mothers, absorbing things from our fathers. We will never remember when we learned it or how to do it, but it's just part of our instincts now. And what is missing today in our young men and our young women is just this bank of instincts because they haven't had the same kind of input from their mothers and from their fathers. Now, that is not, does not mean you cannot be godly or anything like that. What that means, though, is that this church and every church needs to know that going into this. Why this is so important is because we have, been, we, have, we have lacked intentionality in this vision of manhood and womanhood. We've lacked intentionality. And what happens now is that we have a deficit that it's up to us to speak into it. You have to assume. I assume that the young men on our campus do not know the same things that I knew when I was their age. That's not anything about me. That just means... 
I had a great dad. There's nothing I did to do that, but I did have a great dad. And I assume that they don't have the right instincts, and I assume that they didn't have that input, and we should too. This is where the church can be the church. This is exactly why when Jesus said, <coughs> when Jesus said, if you're not willing to forsake mother, father, sister, brother, you're not worthy of me. I think he's just telling us, you better be ready. You better be ready. Because people aren't going to come here all tidied up, two and a half kids, blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever you think, all that. They're not coming here that way. People are having to forsake mother, father, sister, brother. In the book of Luke, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother and your brother are looking for you. Jesus said, my mother and my brother are the ones who hear my word and do it. That's who my mother and my brother are. What is he saying? My real family are the ones that hear the word and do it. And so we need to be prepared. The reason why the whole church is in this session tonight is because this is a gargantuan challenge. Who would have thought, some of you that are older in this room, who among you would have ever even thought 50 years ago that we would have to be talking about something as basic as what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? Some of you would have never imagined a day when we would have to define something as basic as that. And yet, with all of the confusion going on in our culture and all of the pressing for men to be more like women and women to be more like men it has introduced a level of confusion even in the church and we cannot let this go this is very basic to our discipleship nobody in here is a generic person you're the male human being or a female human being and no one in this room is a generic christian you're either a male christian or a female christian and based on that simple fact you are going to have certain commonalities all of us have to obey the commandments, have to do all the one another's of the Bible, have to bear and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So there are some commonalities for all of us, but yet there are very real differences, and those differences are going to be in the context of how we live the Christian life as a man or as a woman. And it also means we've got to have a vision for how we're going to help our children navigate that and get them to where they need to go in terms of their gender. Well, all right. I think we started a little late, but I'm not going to jigger this whole thing up and uh, make everybody late. So I'm going to stop right now. Is that good? All right. And um, we'll, uh, I guess, turn it back over to you. And then we'll, I'll continue a little bit about that in my session. Is that all right? Okay. <clears throat> All right, just a couple, a couple words of directions. If you are here, parents, you may want to split. So one of you may want to stay here. One of you may want to go to the, the celebrating rites of passage session. I, I would definitely encourage you to do that. We're recording the session in here that, with Dr. Stinson, so we'll have that available if you would like to get a copy of that. So don't feel like you have to be in here. Obviously, we know you would like to hear from Dr. Stinson, and we encourage that. Uh, but we would encourage you to split up and to go to the different seminars that would be appropriate for your various children. Uh, when we split, the children will go over to the children department there and we'll go to their session. And then if you're in here and you're a teenager, you'll go down the hall to the back. Don't go to the youth room, uh, students. Go down the hall to the back on the left, the college room. The doors where the sessions are, they are all marked with a sign on them. So um, we should be good to go. 
look over the, the uh, list of breakout sessions. If you have any questions about which one would be most appropriate for you or which one would be most helpful, then let me or Scott or, or Ricky or Bill know and we can help get you there. I would definitely say if you have a, a student who is in a, a senior, junior, senior, um, definitely I would encourage you to go with Bill and Nancy Wallace to the, the planning or rite of passage celebration so that you can get ready for that in the next year or two and, uh, and be ready to roll on, on that. Okay? All right, well, let's break and head to our breakout sessions. <laughs>